shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. Watch him hang from the cross. Then celebrate his resurrection. This is Reading the Bible Together, Holy Week. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. We are in a series on Holy Week, and this is the beginning. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is Palm Sunday, and I am so grateful to welcome back Dr. Peter Kapsner, who is a professor of Christian ministries at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Angie. It's good to be back. So we are talking about Palm Sunday and a little bit of the conversation that we've had ahead of time. I'm really excited about this conversation because we're going to talk about the kind of the juxtaposition of Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and crucify him, crucify him. So we talk a little bit about that. Yeah. When you read the arc of the story, and I know we're inviting people to be within each day of scripture. And as you do that, you're, you're going to see what you just described as this opposite or this juxtaposition that the same people on Sunday that are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and are so welcoming to Jesus coming into the city are going to turn out to be the same people who ultimately shout crucify him just some four or five days later. And so the question is, is why? What happened between Sunday and Friday that caused them to respond? And I think in fairness, had we been standing there, it's quite likely we might have responded in much the same way. Yeah. And I think it's easy to read the story and be in a posture of judgment of them. Like, how could they? How could they go from this to this in just a few days? But I think when you sit in it, and when you maybe take a close, I'm just speaking from my own experience, when I take a little, little more honest look at myself, I see that I have the capacity to praise him in one day and, you know, deny him the next. And I think especially when we get into the backstory of what happened prior to Palm Sunday, like why were they waving these palm branches and why were they celebrating in the way that they were? Well, it, it, God's voice had been silent for some 400 years before John the Baptist emerged out of the wilderness and began to proclaim that to prepare the way for the Lord. And then Jesus appears on the, on the scene and is demonstrating clearly the power of the kingdom. But I don't know about your life. If God has been silent in my life for four days, right. it feels like an eternity. Yeah. And we're talking 400 years that since there had been a messenger of God on behalf of Israel. And in that time, they had experienced profound Roman oppression. I mean, their day-to-day life was objectively terrible. They were always under the thumb of these pretty brutal Roman dictators who allowed them to practice some form of their religion, perhaps, but they had no freedom. They had no sense of hope. And not only that, the religious leaders of the day were of of the type that they were keeping people out of God's kingdom that desperately needed to come in. And now here Jesus arrives on the scene And he's pointing to failed fishermen, and he's pointing to tax collectors, and he's pointing to uh, zealots who are assassinating Roman officials, and he's saying to all of them, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he's demonstrating an incredible kind of power that started to awaken hope in the people. And that's what I kept thinking about was the the lack of hope and and, and trust. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your your trust? And I think back, kind of hearkening back to our studies of Luke and Acts and, you know, talking about Paul and Paul was a Pharisee and, you know, looking at the Jewish rule of the time Mm -hmm. and and the law, thinking about the law. There was the law, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was what I felt like was, this is the law and these are all the steps you need to take to to be able to keep the law. And so not only is there a gate 
there's gate upon gate upon gate mm. upon gate to be able to get into the temple, which is where the Lord was dwelling. Yeah, that's 100% the case. They had the written law, but then to your point, all of these different gates, they had some 600 plus what came from what was called the oral tradition or people who were the religious leaders were interpreting the law and saying, you also have to do this and this and this and this and this. And so Jesus says, you're tying heavy weights down upon the necks of people. So he arrives on the scene and he's setting people free from the falsity of religion. He also clearly is not worried about Roman power. And so these masses of people are following him day in and day out. And every day that they spend with him seems to be awakening this hope that he ultimately is going to go to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to strip the religious leaders entirely. And he's also going to completely overthrow Rome. And they will finally have their rightful place restored to them as the people of Israel owning this country. Jesus was going to be king of their country. And so understandably, they were following him. And so to think about the expectations of the people that were standing there, what they were expecting him to do as he came into Jerusalem. And to your point about what it feels like when God is silent for four days, you know, there have been times in my life where I had expectations of what God was going to do, and then he didn't do it. And I wasn't yelling, crucify him, but I'm not saying that I'm not above it. Well, I think what you just said, if if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably long seasons for all of us, or many of us, in, in our reason for following Jesus is going to be a self-centered reason. It's it's going to be what he's going to accomplish on my behalf. And and that, and I understand some of the impulses of that, you know, if we're sick, if we need some healing or there's trouble in our relationships or maybe we lost our job. Like I understand all of that. But but that so easily tips into you better accomplish this, Jesus, and if you don't, I'm going to maybe not follow you anymore. And and so we come to Palm Sunday and their expectation was he is going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He is going to finally get rid of the Sanhedrin and the religious authorities. We are going to be restored. So Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing that from the standpoint of now, finally, he was going to overcome and they would have power. That's a, I have sung Hosanna for those very same reasons, when, when I'm expecting good things, according to me, to happen in my life. That's making me think about a conversation that we're hearing happening a lot now about people kind of taking their faith apart and looking at different pieces of it. Deconstruction is a word that people use a lot. Um, and I think we saw Paul actually do some form of deconstruction and reconstruction when he started to follow Jesus. And I think that because I had gone through in my life a time where I had a wrong expectation, I had a wrong view of who God was, and I had to take that apart when I would say that God's good, God is good, he is good, but that good to me meant feel good and that his plan for me was a good one meant that it was like I was going to prosper in a way that the world would expect prosperity. And so to have to come to this Middle Eastern text and to have a right understanding of it and and to let that be my guide to reconstruct who God really is and what that goodness really looks like and what prosperity with the Father actually looks like, I think is can be a really important process. And it makes me a little sad that I think that's getting twisted. I think people who feel like they're asking questions and calling it, giving the name deconstruction, that, they're, that there isn't then a safe place for them to ask questions 
to then and then come along and then reconstruct a truer view of who God is. Yeah, that reconstruction process is so you have to it's such care has to be taken, doesn't it? In mm-hmm. terms of who this God is and and unless you're staying anchored and dwelling in the story as as we're inviting people into day in and day out, it's very easy to have your faith reconstructed by other things that just simply aren't consistent with the kingdom. And and one of those things could be uh, that we tend to view God's faithfulness through the lens of how our circumstances are working out in our lives. And and we will continue to follow, and he is faithful insofar as my circumstances are also favorable. And I think what we're being invited into here, Jesus is going to go into the waters of death. And, and he's doing that for a reason that most people can't understand uh, but even in that, we see that God is going to be leading him that whole way, all the way to the cross. He says, nevertheless, that your will be done. God has leading him there. And it's not because of the circumstances that God proves faithful. It's that God will stay with us in whatever circumstances in which we find ourselves. And, and it's allowing God to be our shepherd in the unknown that really brings the kind of shalom we're looking for. You know, to, to prosper, you use that word. American prosperity has to do with material blessings and all the stuff we know that, that it has to do with. But prosper in the biblical text is just about, do you have a heart of wholeness in the absence of this world? And and you can be whole or content within the ongoing absence. And, and Jesus is going to show us a whole different path uh, in terms of that contentment. He had a joy set before him when he went towards that cross. That's, those are very unfamiliar words. But if we're re- going to reconstruct kingdom life, we have to dwell in those places. Yep, because there's a cost. There is a cost. There's a cost to following. There's a cost to there's a there's a dying. There's a dying that has to happen for us. For sure. I mean, he said, if you want to find your life, right, what do you have to do? You have to lose it. Mm-hmm. And and you need to pick up your cross. And and that isn't that doesn't have to be the super heavy burden. Simultaneously, he says, take my yoke upon you, for my way is easy and my burden is light. And what he's saying is that if you're willing to trust me, independent of the circumstances of your life, I will start creating a kind of heart in you in which you can have authentic delight and joy and wonder and laughter and tears and sorrow all from the inside out that is coming from the kingdom and is not just being swept around by the circumstances of this world. When we're standing on the hillside of the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday, we are saying Hosanna and it's all dependent upon the circumstances. But he's going to show us in this week ahead an entirely different road where we can actually stand on a rock in the midst of the storms to use that parable. Mm. And I'm I'm just thinking about the the length of time. Like it's been almost 29 years that I've been walking with him, and it's taken 29 years <laughs> to get me to a place where I can have a deeper understanding. And yet he's still big and still mysterious, and there's still so much for me to learn. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I became a follower of Jesus when I was six years old, and and but I don't think that I actually started loving the kinds of things that it seems to me that Jesus loves in the way of life until I was well into my mid-30s. And it was almost always through trial and difficulty and, and taking that descending road towards the cross where you begin to find the real life, the, the pearls of great price, right? The, the love that persists, the joy that remains, these kind of things. That was 30 years of, of faith prior to that before I even began to see some of these things. Mm. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we talk about or that talk through or gave understanding to for Palm Sunday? Yeah, I think just the wonder that is God's kingdom, as we did talk about that these Hosanna people with who we can probably identify also became the crucifying people. But we need to take one more step instead of just villainizing what happened on Good Friday. 
like even then God's grace was being manifested. And they were shouting, crucify him. And even then he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so even as we deal with this journey ourselves of Hosanna for wrong expectations to crucify when those expectations don't work out, we need to understand God is even still somehow miraculously for us, even as we're shouting crucify. And and it was while we were yet sinners that he did this work. And so even... I just don't want to vilify those times in our life. Those are invitations to be able to say, no, God is still for you in the midst of it. And it's part of the wonder of Holy Week. Mm, That is so good. Thank you so much, Peter. I love these conversations. Holy Week is so much fun. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you for joining us for this conversation about Palm Sunday. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes this week. And we will see you tomorrow. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at myfaithradio.com.